Good morning. I'm Lisa Williams, and our scripture reading for today is from Genesis 16, verses 1 through 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at contempt on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she ran away from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Lisa, for our scripture lesson this morning. And once again, we're very appreciative of our youth band. Um, one of the things we, we know about our youth is that this band is made up of uh, various grade groups, but a lot of them are seniors. So I think they're looking for some other youth to come and be a part of what they're doing and help them with that and continue to make sure this grows in the future. We, we have the youth band in the future. So uh, if you think about that, get in touch with them, Brian and the others. Again, appreciate you. Let's um, pause for a moment of prayer as we prepare to hear God's word together. Gracious God, we just ask now that your Holy Spirit might lead us in this moment, that you might direct our thoughts, that you might open our minds to the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. God, enable me to proclaim your word in a way that brings glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're actually continuing in a series of sermons where we have been looking at the wilderness experiences of five different biblical characters in the Old Testament. If you've been with us, you've learned that the wilderness actually um, can mean both a geographical location that uh, is barren or desolate, such as a desert, but it also can mean those difficult places in our lives, those difficult times that are barren and desolate. And we have been looking at these um, stories of these biblical characters and their experiences with the wilderness to try to see what we might learn how to deal with our own wilderness experiences. And these are stories that teach us something about God. They teach us something about ourselves. They teach us how God is at work in the midst of the wilderness moments of life. And that's actually what we find in our story for today. It's a story about Abram, who later became known as Abraham, Sarai, which uh, later became known as Sarah, and Hagar. Now, Whenever you read these Old Testament stories, you often encounter some things that just don't really make sense when you compare them to our world today. And you find a lot of that going on in this story. But, uh, for instance, you have this story talking about Abraham, who is now 85 years old. He's married to Sarah, who is 76 years old. Abraham and Sarah have been married, but they've not been able to have children. So Sarah begins to believe that God has made her barren. Now, we know better than that, but back then, that's the only way Sarah knew to understand this. So that's what she thinks. Um, They have this promise, though, that they are going to have a child, that God has promised them they're going to have children. It just hadn't happened yet. 
And so the biological clock is clicking uh, on uh, Sarah, and she becomes impatient about this. So she comes up with this great idea. Uh, she has a slave girl from Egypt named uh, Hagar. And she decides to offer Hagar, her slave girl, to her husband Abraham so he would bear a child with her on Sarah's behalf. Now, unfortunately, they did have slaves back in that day and time. They often bought foreigners as slaves. Sometimes people sold themselves into slavery and um, to pay off their debts and that kind of thing. It was a horrible practice, but it was, you know, that existed in ancient days. So Sarah comes up with this great idea of having her slave girl sleep with her husband, Abraham, so she would bear a child on her behalf. Today, we have a practice called surrogate motherhood. Are you familiar with that? I mean, it's, it's kind of similar. This is where you have a woman who's artificially inseminated, and uh, she bears a child on your behalf, and when the child is born, she gives you the child. Well, they didn't have that capability back then, so this is how they took care of that problem. If a woman was wealthy enough to own slaves, she could have her slave sleep with her husband, and that woman would bear a child that would become hers. And this is what's taking place. Now, put yourself in Hagar's shoes here for a moment. This is really not good news to Hagar. <laughs> I mean, Hagar is a young woman. She's, we believe, between the ages of 16 to 21 years old, somewhere in there. She's a young woman, and now she's being forced to sleep with this 85-year-old man to conceive a child that she's going to have to give away to her mistress. This is not something she wants. This is not how she envisioned her life being. And yet she really has no choice. She's a slave, so she's being forced to do this. Hagar uh, then becomes the secondary wife of Abraham with no rights to her children and no opportunities beyond what she's going through. So Sarah is forcing Hagar to sleep with her husband. Sarah is forcing Hagar to conceive a child, and she's going to have to give that child up back to Sarah. You see how this might cause some bad feelings between uh, Hagar and Sarah? <laughs> I mean, there's some bad stuff going on here. They're, they're having bad feelings toward each other. Uh, Hagar, is, uh, sh- she resents what Sarah has done. She looks upon Sarah with contempt. It says in this text, and Sarah begins to feel all those insecurities of being an older woman who can't have children, who's now her husband has slept with a younger woman who has conceived his child. I mean, there's a lot of insecurities going on here with this. This is why polygamy doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, we, it's been tried throughout history, but it always leads to jealousy. It leads to strife, uh, resentment and bad feelings. And that's what's going on here. The bad feelings begin to develop between Hagar and Sarah. Uh, Hagar, I mean, Sarah is jealous of Hagar. And um, Hagar begins to kind of rub her nose in the fact that she's got a child and Sarah doesn't. And uh, she looks with contempt upon Sarah. So Sarah begins to treat Hagar harshly. I mean, the whole thing is messed up here. Bad situation. But then, then something funny happens in the midst of this. This is typical of the stories in the Old Testament. There's drama, but there's also a lot of humor in it. But in this particular case, at some point in the midst of all this jealousy and stuff going on, Sarah gets angry one day and she marches up to Abraham and she says, this was a horrible idea you had. This, your slave woman is now looking upon me with contempt because she's able to bear a child and I can't. What are you going to do about it? Oh, wait a minute. Whose idea was this? This wasn't Abraham's idea. This was Sarah's idea. And yet he's getting blamed for it. I see some guys out there smiling and nodding their head. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right. And this is so typical of our human nature. We often want to blame others for our choices and our decisions. 
But then Abraham, he doesn't help matters either with his passive response. Instead of manning up and you know, trying to make the situation better and working this out, he simply says, well, she's your slave girl. Do with her what you want. Oh, we all know what Sarah wants to do to Hagar. Uh, she wants to take Hagar down a peg. She wants to really make her pay for how she's made her feel. Uh, she wants to bring her pain, and that's exactly what she does. The text says that, ha- that Sarah treats Hagar harshly. Every day, Hagar is having to endure Sarah's abuse. So finally, she gets enough of it. She decides, I'm going to run away. Well, where is she going to go? Well, she's, she's from Egypt, so she decides, I'll go back to Egypt. I'll go back home. Only problem with that is that there's a 200-mile stretch of desert between where she is and where Egypt is. I've got a map of it here. This is actually the route that she was going to have to take. 200 miles of desert. In fact, both of these stories we're going to be talking about this morning actually take place in the desert. This next picture is a picture of the desert of Negev, where is where Hagar set out on her journey as she begins to run away. Just imagine, she's 18 years old, she's pregnant, she's feeling alone, abandoned, unsure if she's going to make it or not. This is truly a wilderness moment for Hagar. But eventually she comes across an oasis of water. And that's where our passage for this morning picks up. It's in Genesis chapter 16. We read, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, that's the desert shore. And he, the angel, said, Hagar, slave girl of Israel, where have you come from? And where are you going? Of course, the angel knows where she's come from. He knows the answers to these questions. He's just inviting Hagar to share her pain with God. And she said, I am running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord then said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for the multitude. And there's a powerful thing going on here in this story. Don't miss it. Here you have Hagar out in the wilderness. And I want you to realize that the angel of the Lord comes Hagar in the midst of her wilderness. And that reinforces this biblical idea that we read over and over again, that when we find ourselves in the midst of the wilderness of life, God seeks us. God is always seeking us, seeking to come to us. Uh, We've all felt like running away at times. And when we do, God sees us and God comes to us. Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save the lost. I mean, this is what God does. So God sends the angel to Hagar. And I want you to notice that in this description of the angel, you don't read about any wings. This angel doesn't have wings. In fact, if you've been with us over the years, you've heard me teach on this, is that uh, that's really not found anywhere in the Bible, that angels have wings. You find creatures that have wings, but not angels. Uh, The word for angel actually means messenger. Uh, These are agents that are sent by God to comfort us. In times of difficulty, in times when we're afraid, uh, God sends his angels, his messengers to come to us uh, to give us a word of his will for our lives. But in this particular case, it's kind of interesting because you're going to read later on where Hagar believes that this angel, this man standing before her, is actually the Lord God himself. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But uh, notice that what the angel tells Hagar is not what she wants to hear. What she wants the angel to tell her is that she's going to fix everything. God's going to take care of everything and make everything right. God is going to change Sarah's heart toward her. God is going to make Abraham stand up and be a man and and stand up for her. But that's not what the angel promises at all. And here I think we get a picture of, you know, our own human condition. And when we go to those wilderness moments of life, 
We're just like Hagar. What we want to hear is that God is going to fix everything and make everything right. We cry out for that. But life just doesn't work that way. God doesn't promise to fix everything. What God promises us is that he's going to walk with us through those difficult wilderness moments of life. So the angel tells Hagar, you've got to go back. Go back to Sarah, submit to her. And Hagar was able to do that, I think, for two reasons. First of all, because God had seen her. And God had come to her in the midst of her wilderness. She now knows that she's not alone. God sees her and God comes to her. She knows that God is now with her. The second reason she was able to go back was because she had now this promise from God that the offspring from the child in her womb was going to be multiplied so that they could not be counted and make a great nation. So now she has this promise from God that her future is going to be much better than her present circumstances. So with this promise from God and this assurance that God was with her, she is able to go back. But before that happens, another interesting thing takes place. Hagar actually names God. Now, that's not typically what happens in the Old Testament. God usually tells people what, how to address him. He, he's got his own names. But this slave girl, this uh, foreigner, this outcast, she believes this angel, this messenger before her is the Lord God himself. So she gives God a name. And this is what we read. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, you are Elroy. For she said, have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Therefore, the well was there was called Be'er Laherori. Now, this is really interesting. She calls God Elroy. Uh, what does that mean? Well, if you look at those first two letters, E-L is the word for God's name. It means God. The longer version of that is Elohim. And most of you are familiar with this. But Roy means to see. So what she's saying here is you are the God who sees. I was in the wilderness, wandering, alone, struggling, desperate, afraid, and you saw me. So I'm going to call you, name you the God who sees. What I want you to hear in that is that whatever wilderness you may find yourself walking in, always remember that God is a God who sees you. He sees you. So Hagar goes back. Nothing really changes. Um, Sarah continues to belittle her and treat her harshly. And she finally gives birth to um, the child. And they name the child Ishmael. Now, if you look at Ishmael's name, you see on the end of that name, the two letters E-L. You've already learned that that means God. But what does Ishma mean? Ishma means hears. So the child is named God hears. So we're introduced in this story to the God who sees and the God who hears. So Ishmael is born and Hagar continues to nurse him and to raise him. But he really belongs to Sarah. And they go along for 13 years, quarreling with each other, this jealousy, all this tension between them. We now come to the stage where Ishmael is around 13 years old. And we have Abraham, who is 99 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. God comes to Abraham and Sarah and says, guess what? You're going to have another child. Oh, what do you mean we're going to have a child? We already got a child. We don't need another child. It says, well, you're going to have another child. This time Sarah is going to give birth to the child. And when Abraham and Sarah hear this, they laugh. <laughs> Are you kidding? We're too old for that. There's no way that's going to happen. And God says, yeah, there is a way. And it will happen. So guess what they call the child? 
They named him Isaac, which means laughter, because when everybody heard this, they laughed. Uh, that was his name. <clears throat> so Abraham is 100 years old when Isaac is born. Uh, Sarah is 91 years old. And uh, this is all great news, right? I mean, this is great news for everybody. Well, it's great news for everybody except if you're Hagar and Ishmael. I mean, what does this mean for Ishmael now? Well, it means that Sarah's no longer interested in him because she's got a child of her own now. There may be some of you here who've experienced what it feels like to be that second child that doesn't really matter anymore after a divorce and new families have been established. Well, this is Ishmael's story. And what does it mean for Hagar? Well, Hagar's not needed anymore either. She's of no use because now Sarah has her own child. One day, Isaac and Ishmael are playing together. And Ishmael, I don't know what it was, Ishmael laughed at Isaac, and that really angered Sarah. And so she storms into Abraham once again, and she says, cast out this slave woman with her son. She no longer calls Ishmael her son. She calls, cast out this slave girl with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. And this really upset Abraham, because he loved his son. But again, instead of being man up, you know, and taking care of this or trying to fix this thing, he simply decides to send Hagar and Ishmael away. And actually, this becomes the first divorce that you read about in the Old Testament. It was not one of Abraham's finer moments. He gives Hagar a flask of water and a loaf of bread, and he says, go, leave. God be with you. That's it. (laughs) This is the alimony. A loaf of bread and a flask of water? How is that going to sustain them through a 200-mile journey in the desert? Yep. That's all you get. Well, as they make their way through the desert, the water runs out pretty quickly, the bread runs out, and they're left there just without any hope. Frightened, afraid, and no hope. Have you ever been in the wilderness of rejection? Feeling abandoned? No hope. The truth is all of us are going to experience rejection in our lives at some point. It could be the rejection of a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It could be the rejection of a spouse that leads to the wilderness of a divorce. It could be the rejection of a parent, the rejection of a child, or a co-worker, or a neighbor. We're all going to experience those moments of rejection in life. And when we experience those times where we're feeling alone and afraid and we're feeling unloved and uh, you know, just useless to anybody, it can cause great pain. And part of what I want you to hear in this story is where God is in the midst of all of that. Where is God in those kind of wilderness experiences? Where, you know, what hope do we have to hang on to? That's what we want to know. Well, you have this story of Hagar. She's wandering in the wilderness. They run out of bread. They run out of water. And there's really no hope. And in Genesis chapter 21, this is what we read. When the water and the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, do not let me look upon the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. Can you feel Hagar's pain? Her desperation, her despair. You ever had those moments in your life where you felt forsaken, alone, abandoned, no hope? 
Well, this is what happens next in the story. She thinks that she's alone. She thinks that she's rejected and there's no one, no hope for her. But then this is what we read. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Remember what Ishmael's name means? God hears. So God has heard Ishmael's cry. And then the angel says, Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Here's that promise again. In the midst of this desperate moment, that promise is proclaimed again. You hear this over and over throughout the story, that there is a future for you to hold on to, Hagar, so don't give up. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness. Once more, we see how God sees her and comes to her. God hears her and comes to her. And God, the angel, showed uh, Hagar a well that was just around the corner, but she couldn't see it at that time. And they find hope. I really want you to get this. God doesn't promise us that he's going to fix all of our broken and mixed up relationships that we experience in this lifetime. Life just doesn't work that way. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of bad choices to get to the place where they were. But what God says to us when in the midst of those wilderness times is, look, I see you. I am with you. And there's a future that I have for you. I know you can't see it right now, but there's a future that is going to be much better than what you're presently experiencing. So hold on. Hold on. That's what we do. We hold on to that. We, with white knuckles, we hold on believing and trusting that, God, I can't see you. I can't hear you. I'm just counting on the fact that you see me. This is why the story is in the Bible. It is there to remind us of the God who sees us. The God who hears us. The God who comes to us. So we don't have to be afraid. And the way that God often comes to us is through his angels. And we learn that you know, angels are not these winged creatures. Rather, they're messengers from God that are sent to comfort us and to bring us hope and healing in difficult times and to help you. But you know what such angels look like? They look like you. They look like people who hear God and hear the cries of the people that God hears. He sees the people that God is seeing. You know, as Christians, we are called to be attuned to the things that are breaking the heart of God in this world. And we are called to be those angels of God, those agents, messengers that go to bring hope and, and comfort and encouraging people in their times of need. This is how God comes alongside of us. This past week, we have those who knew the families that were... Um, had to go through the difficulty, the loss of this great tragedy. All of us were impacted with such sorrow and shock and grief. It's just been a difficult week for all of us. This tragedy has brought more grief and pain and heartache than any family could possibly experience, it seems. And yet what is making that horrible tragedy something that they're able to bear is their trust in a God who sees them. Who hears them and the way that the angels have surrounded them in this time of grief. Many of you have been those angels, messengers of God during this time. I just want to give you thanks for that and praise God for that. 
Listen, when you find yourself in the midst of such wilderness experiences where there seems to be no hope, and there's so much pain, you have to hold on to this. You have to believe in that there is a God who sees us. There's a God who hears us. And there is a God who will come alongside of us through his angels. You have to hold on to that promise. But there is a God who sees, a God who hears, and a God has a future for us that is better than where we're experiencing right now. So our task is simply this. It is to try to be attuned to those cries that we hear around us. It is try to, to uh, be attentive to the needs of those around us and to offer help where we can so that those who are hurting around you will come to know that good news. There is a God who sees you. There is a God who loves you, who hears you. And he will give you a hope to hold on to. Today, as we come to the Lord's table, we are reminded of this truth, that there is a God who saw us, who heard our cries, and who came to us in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, to show us the depth of his love, to heal us, to save us. It is in that spirit that we prepare to come now to the Lord's table. time when we remember that all of us are in need of forgiveness, mercy, the grace of God that cleanses us and makes us whole. There's brokenness in all of our lives. You may be in a wilderness moment right now and you're crying out to God and God is saying, I see you. We remember how God's love is poured out through his son, Jesus Christ, who gathered with his disciples in an upper room one night, his final night to be with us. You remember how he instituted this meal to remember how God comes to us and loves us. Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, take it. This is my body given for you. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And we remember how our lives come broken, but he has the power to heal, to bring something new. Afterwards, he took the cup. As he lifted it, he blessed it, and he gave thanks for it. And then he gave it to his disciples. He said, take a drink from this, all of you. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So today we remember, and we give thanks for God's love. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon these gifts, the bread and the fruit of the vine, that they may become for us the body and blood of Christ, that As we partake of it, we become your body, your light, your word, your agents, your angels to the world around us to bring hope in this world. So God, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in service to all the world. This we pray through Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.